Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Aaron McKean. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I am, as you said, my name, Erin McKeed, and uh, I'm the founder of WordNIC, which is the biggest online English language dictionary. And uh, my paid job is I work um, in Google's open source programs office as a program manager, and I focus there on improving documentation in open source. Uh, that is incredibly important and definitely a theme on this show as as one of those skills and and things to concentrate on that have uh, oddly a disproportionate effect on on teams and and projects so i think that's that's awesome how did you get into that into which bit <laughs> into sorry the the, the documentation um, how did you how did you wind up uh, at google doing that a couple of years back, I guess probably in about 2016, so Wordnik was originally a venture-backed startup, but we didn't make any money. But our investors were awesome, and they let me reincorporate it as a nonprofit. But of course, you know, the nonprofit part of nonprofit doesn't mean that you can't make money, but it generally means that you don't make money. So along about 2016, I uh, had a kid about to go into college, and I thought I should really get a real job. <laughs> so, and it turns out jobs for lexicographers, the people who make dictionaries, are not very easy to come by. And I already had a dictionary job. It just didn't pay me very well. So I thought, okay, well, I've been running WordNick by myself for a couple of years, which means I am essentially like, I like to joke, a full Stack Overflow developer. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, what do I like to do? I now know I like to write code. I really like to talk to people about stuff and I really like to explain things because I've worked in reference publishing basically my whole adult life. What's the kind of job where those two things go together? And I was like, ah, developer advocate. Mm -hmm. So I started working at IBM with the strong loop folks, helping people um, learn how to use the loopback API framework. So I was there for a couple of years and then I got a call from Google. They're like, hey, you know, we've got a lot of open developer advocate roles, do you want to apply? And I was like, sure. And I, you know, I put in my application and I made it through like a test, you know, coding interview and then a like a semi-real coding interview. And then I made it to the actual coding interview and I bounced off hard. Mm. Like, you know, I don't have a CS background. Mm -hmm. Like I basically like, you know, play by ear. And I was a little bit bummed, but I hadn't really prepped for the interview, so I really only had myself to blame. <laughs> and, <laughs> but did you did you explain to them that, that, that you're you're a really good computer engineer, like you can build real things? <laughs> they, that wasn't convincing. Well, let's just so uh, one of the things that I was asked to like implement, I was like, oh, you know how I'd implement that? NPM install. <laughs> and they were like, actually, no, we want you to build one from scratch. And I was like, why would I do that? They're like, <laughs> like somebody's already been working on this for like three, four years. Why would I build it from scratch? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I straight faced in an interview. Somebody wanted me to. This was a long time ago. It was sort of like, okay, if you have two sorted arrays, how do you efficiently combine them into a single sorted array? And I straight faced says like, oh, concat and then sort, and uh, they were not pleased. <laughs> I mean, we have these tools, right? Like. They're there for a reason. But so I was kind of bummed. But then they called me back and said, hey, you know, the people that you talked to who weren't asking you to implement things from scratch actually like talking to you. And we've got this program manager role we think you might be suited for. And the hiring manager was Sarah Novotny, who I love. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I would love to work with Sarah, even if it's not as a developer advocate. And so I did a bunch more interviews and they, you know, and that's how I made it through the door. Oh, that's awesome. And then, okay. And so, so you knew, you knew ahead of time going in that it was going to be about uh, writing docs, like that flavor of developer advocacy. I mean, I guess I don't even know how many different <laughs> flavors there are, but yeah, uh, was that part of it? Yeah. Um, so there's a kind of a pain point in open source where like people make something for the joy of sharing it with people, 
And then all of a sudden they get thrown into a bunch of work that's not really code related. Like, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. how do I manage these people? How do I manage these processes? Like what, what, what's my job now? Like what, what do I have to do? It's like, if, if you decided to become a Girl Scout leader because you loved camping and then you were like, mm -hmm. what's this cookie sale nonsense? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, so what I was originally signed up to do was to try to help maintainers and people working at open source with some kind of like guidelines about how this stuff works. But then we realized that, oh, wait, every project is kind of different. We just need to help projects get the docs that they need to, you know, onboard new contributors, talk about their code of conduct and how it gets enforced, like talk about, you know, what do we expect in terms of like pull requests and issues? So there's like so much scope for documentation. Yeah, I mean, because that, that's really the communication and, and collaboration parts. But it's also, yeah, it's also where the, you know, the rubber meets the road. And in, in my head, I was actually thinking of this metaphor where uh, you've got developers creating open source and, and they're like, oh, man, I built this awesome bike. It's sweet. Everybody can have this bike. Like people love bikes. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to put it on the top of this this roof of this building here. And people can just figure out how to come get the bike. And, uh, <laughs> and um, it, you know, it doesn't, doesn't work. doesn't work as well. There are a lot of rooftop bikes out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what, yeah, so other than just not having any docs, is there, is there, like, did you come across certain patterns or what you feel like is the lowest lift? Um, you know, highest leverage thing that that people can do? So I want to kind of take a step back from that question, which is really docs are about mm -hmm. getting people from point A to point B. And if you don't know what point B you want people to land at, it's really hard to write a doc that doesn't point anywhere. Oh, man, you just you're making me think of, I think, one of my favorite quotes that I use to annoy people. Uh, where it's the it's the passage from Alice in Wonderland where she's asking the Cheshire cat like which direction to go, and he asks her, "Well, like where are you trying to get to?" And she says, "Oh, I don't know, like you know, you know, you know somewhere." And he's <laughs> like, "Oh, well, then it doesn't matter which way you go. You know, you're you're bound to bound to get there." And yeah, I mean, I do think that is that is kind of difficult for people, um, and and so that's really important to to start so how do you yeah so i guess walk me through that that yeah so let's say that you're like you know prototypical open source project and you have to think about what do you want out of this project do you want a lot of people to use it well then okay then you need like how to get started documentation how to documentation tutorial documentation a lot of documentation about you know, no code is an island, right? So how do you plug into whatever mm -hmm. ecosystem that your project works with? Like, you know, mm -hmm. if this is part of the peanut butter and jelly sandwich stack, how are you going to make <laughs> this work with the peanut butter and the bread? Mm -hmm. If you feel like, oh, well, you know what I really want? Like, users are nice and all, but this, I just wrote this to scratch my own itch. What I would love is for other people to come in and like, help me with it. I want contributors. Mm. Okay, then you mm -hmm. need like explicit documentation about what it is to be a contributor to this project. You probably need a roadmap. Mm. So people like, if you want people to come and cut the grass and all you've got are people sh showing up to plant flowers, you didn't tell them what you wanted them to do. <laughs> you didn't say what you were open for and they're going to get mm. really angry and go away if you just keep pulling mm. up their flowers. Yeah, and that you know, happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, maybe... Maybe you don't want either of those things. Maybe you just open source something because like it's a philosophical thing for you, right? Like a conversation and starter. I don't know that yeah, you know, maybe it's you know, maybe you're doing GitHub driven resume building, right? Like you just want to prove that you could build a thing. You know, actually make that explicit. Just say, Hey, I'm not open to contributions at this time. Hey, I can't help you use this thing, you're on your own. Just save people the headache of getting invested in a project that you really don't intend to be used that way. Right. It's almost, yeah, it's almost like being, being 
clear about what those those expectations are because otherwise if you're sending out the signals of typical open source that hey there's a repo here you can open issues you can create pull requests and you know I'm implying that I'm going to be nice to you and and accept your your um contributions but yeah you don't want to send mixed messages where that's what you're you're putting out there and then you you don't follow that with with actions right yeah and GitHub has all those affordances like built in, right? Mm-hmm. There's a discussion section or issues or, you know, pull requests just there. And it's hard to turn that stuff off, even if I don't know, even sure you can, can turn some of that stuff off. Yeah, they don't they don't encourage that. <laughs> <laughs> One piece of documentation that I really think that projects need that they don't think about that often is communications guidelines, which is basically mm. like, hey, here's where everybody hangs out, right? Like, Mm -hmm. please don't direct message us on Twitter asking for help. That's not where we do help, right? Mm -hmm. And and setting, as you said, expectations, right? Like, hey, if you have this kind of problem, raise an issue, don't just jump into our project Slack or Gitter or whatever and expect Mm -hmm. people to drop everything and help you. And Mm -hmm. just by saying that a lot of times, like, hey, this is where we are. This is how we do things. This is what you can expect from us. And here's an escalation path if we're not meeting our, like, you know, uh, what we said we'd do. Because people tend to gravitate towards the channels that they are the most comfortable with, right? I'm I'm an old. I gravitate towards email, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I get a lot right. of DMs from people on Twitter that are basically like Wordnik support. And I'm like, uh, we have mm. a support email, but they don't think about it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's interesting that the, the people are going to just use the channels that that are comfortable to them. And in my mind, I'm just thinking about how I'm all about uh, chat, not necessarily Twitter. But yeah, I would definitely reach for for. You know, I guess now it would be Slack or Discord's more, more popular. Um, but you know, it, I would I would certainly read the directions if someone was like, "Oh, here, email," or definitely don't don't do this <laughs> thing. Um, yeah, right. People want to know what is expected of them as mm-hmm. well, right? And a lot of people don't necessarily. I'm not sure how to say this, but maybe it's more like if every time that you've asked for something in a really abrupt way or without pleasantries or without any indication that you understand that someone is doing you a favor and you've gotten a response, what motivation do you have to change your behavior? Very, very little. Mm-hmm. But if you know right. you go to a project where they say, hey, we expect people to treat each other politely, and this is what politeness looks like for us. Because different people around the world have mm. different understandings of what being polite means. Well, that's a good point. So, yeah, I could basically talk about this, you know, all afternoon and well into the evening. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a it's a it, I think the part that that I'm really interested in is is that we we've mentioned a lot of open source. But every time um, I'm thinking about this, I can't help but feel how important this is at on teams even in in closed source in in work environments and how these types of behaviors are more of what i i think to you know distinguished um senior engineers and and engineers who are able to to get more done and have an effect uh, a larger effect across their team and the the broader organization i do you do you see the same connection or is this for you is this more about open source and and that that world i i think it's the same questions everywhere just at different scales and Mm -hmm. i would i would definitely Mm -hmm. not call myself i mean i feel like senior is a title other people give you like I've just been around a long mm-hmm. time. Sometimes you have, you know, 20 years of experience and sometimes you have the same year of experience 20 times, right? Like the joke goes. Sure. Um, but I think I find myself in a lot of meetings saying, okay, but what do we want, right? Not what are we going to do, but what do we want? What is the outcome 
that we think we need and why do we think we need this outcome like were we told we had to have this outcome mm-hmm. or does this solve a problem that everybody agrees is an actual problem and how are we going to know <laughs> when it's done and how are we going to know when we need mm-hmm. to come back and look at it again because like entropy is a real thing folks like you know the center can't hold things fall apart yeah. maintenance <laughs> yeah, you know, second the second law of thermodynamics. Not something that you can get a waiver <laughs> from. Um, <laughs> right. Not, it's a know? law, not a suggestion. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so a lot of times it's like, okay, like, what's the problem? How do we know it's a problem? What do we think a world where the problem doesn't exist? What does that world look like? How do we know that we're in that world? Um, and how are we going to write this down? So that the person who's responsible for mm-hmm. solving this problem can go on a vacation every once in a while and people will know what to do if things blow up when they're gone. <laughs> now, obviously, this is way easier for me to do mm-hmm. at Google where there, like, there are a lot of people who work at Google. And when I was in smaller companies and startups, right, sometimes you are the person. Yeah. But it's, you know, unless you're a single person company, which I have mm-hmm. also been part of. Um, you know, there's at least somebody that you can say, Hey, if everything catches on fire and you can't reach me for an hour, here's where you can look to find the the big off switch. Yeah. So there's, there's, um, there's a lot of really good stuff, uh, there. I do want to, I want to go back to, uh, the, the idea of, um, what's the, what's the problem? What do we want? Um, this was the, you know, where are you trying to get to? Uh, even with the open source uh, maintainers, it's like, what are you looking for? Is it is it lots of users? Is it contributors? Is this just a you know philosophical thought piece or a resume demonstration? Like, what do you what do you want? And that is so important on teams as well. I was actually talking about this um, yesterday uh, with somebody I'm, I'm mentoring, and uh, I was telling the story about. Um, it, it's so important to not confuse uh, problems with solutions. Like the lack of your favorite solution is not is not equivalent to the problem that you're trying to solve, right? So like if if there's, you know, food on the other side of a, of a river and you're starving, your problem is not a lack of a bridge um, because the bridge is just one potential way of not starving. Um, you know, it could be a helicopter or a raft or uh, food on your side of the river or a million different things, cannon travel. Like it, it, there's no, there's no limit. There's often an infinite number of possible solutions. And one of them is going to, for whatever reason, be good enough or the best of, of the available ones to you, either in terms of time or money or any, any other number of, of factors. Um, and I do find that a lot of teams and, and developers will get really attached to a particular implementation. And you brought up a really good point too, which is how do you know? How do you know when you're done? How do you know when you you got what you want? Which is, it's funny saying that out loud because it's like, well, isn't it obvious? And the funny thing, no, it's it's not. Like the the something that that I was working with with a, a developer recently is. They had done a proof of concept for um, synchronizing a mobile app with, uh, you know, a, a browser app using polling. So the, um, you know, I forget exactly which way it went, but you could just imagine the mobile app is constantly sending the the, the state or like whatever they wrote in in a bunch of forms or something like that. It's constantly sending it to the back end. And then the back end is, or I guess the the browser is constantly pulling it out of the back end. So whatever you write on your phone magically appears through the magic of polling on the on the browser screen. And they were saying that uh, it was really efficient, inefficient, and they needed to redo it so that it could use WebSockets. And the the conversation really. for me was okay like so what's the what's the problem it's like oh it's inefficient it's using polling i'm like right but like are we going to get a a 
like a ticket from from the user like as a student this is for for like a, a you know courseware app it's like is a student gonna to go into zendesk and be like hey i noticed you're using polling and it's really inefficient so if you could fix that that'd be great because otherwise you know i'm gonna get a a b instead of an a like is that what's gonna happen and you know, just in asking him these questions about what's the the real problem, he eventually realized that, like, oh wait, there there actually isn't <laughs> there isn't a problem here. It was just <laughs> he he really wanted to use that solution because WebSockets are shinier than than polling, um, and there there could have been reasons. Uh, I I would have accepted some, but he didn't he didn't actually come up with any, and I think it's really important to 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 be clear first on what the what the actual problem is or what that 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 potential opportunity is <laughs> i'm sorry i'm still <laughs> giggling about web sockets because yeah. i've never run into a use case where i was like the pain of learning web sockets is like justifiable <laughs> but then i don't write chat apps and i don't write games mm-hmm. and i don't write the kinds of things for which web sockets would be like solving a real problem. Mm-hmm. Usually when I run into them, it's that like, I want to use the cool thing effect. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I definitely have not had that, that problem. Yeah. But, you know, again, it's, it's like the, the, what, what problem are you trying to solve and, and how do you know what it's done? Because, you know, for that, yeah, there's sort of like, that could have just been, I don't know, in that case, I mean, it could have just gone on for a long, long time. Like, oh, now we have WebSockets. Well, we're not using it everywhere. Where else can we use <laughs> WebSockets? And I mean, I guess there's a theoretical limit, like the Grey Goo, you know, universe, like heat death where everything's a WebSocket. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. Um, I, point being, it's really, really important to get clear on what the actual goal is. And so... How, yeah, for the for the you mentioned that, um, but I don't know, was that in reference to documentation or the same like part of 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 communicating with people? Or is that more of a higher level pattern that you see? I do think it's kind of fractal in that whenever you run into problems, it's probably a goal problem, because when people mm. know what they want, they know how to get there. And it's oh. usually just stepwise progress, right? Maybe it's stepwise progress towards a local maximum, but you know, you can uh. deal with that problem when you get to that point. Mm-hmm. But when you don't know what you want a function to do, right? It can be really hard to write that function. Mm-hmm. When you don't know what you want, you know, an app to do, like, is it is it trying to be both a scheduling app and a communication app? Like, maybe those should be two things kind of bridge Mm -hmm. together like trying to break things down into their smallest bits and having each bit have its own well-defined goal that you know when it's met and you know when it's not met then Mm -hmm. you know then the team building that can also be very clear on its goal why do you think why do you think that this comes up so often like why do you think it's difficult for yeah why is this not the default um so there's this german word that's called torschlusspanik and it's means basically closing door panic and it's supposed to be about people in their midlife suddenly realizing that they're never going to be a formula one driver or they're Mm. not going to have octuplets right like Mm -hmm. those doors are closed Mm -hmm. and a lot of people just don't like to close off possibilities so they want to do everything all at once and i am as guilty of this as any other person like (laughs) my my commits are just like smorgasbords of stuff that I just threw into the commit, right? Like, Mm. um, but people don't want to like close off possibilities. And every decision you make about, yes, we're doing this is also a no to something else. And if you can't say no, you can't say yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so do you find, okay, so I know you you don't take, uh, <laughs> you don't love the the junior-senior dichotomy, but it is the name <laughs> of the show. Uh, and and I do, I, I certainly agree with you, um, <laughs> uh, I, I think, in, in principle. Um, 
I'll just quickly say that the the reason why the name of the show is that I make the distinction is because oftentimes, for better or worse, a lot of employers make it very clear that they're looking for senior developers, and we're we're trying to we're trying to decode what that means, even if it it it's uh, it's not a perfect uh, label. Um, so what I was going to ask is, do you find that? you know, senior, whatever that means for you, more productive um, engineers have a better a better grasp of, of this? Is that one of those defining characteristics that you find? I think so. But part of it might just be a factor of time in that mm. um, the longer that you've been doing something, it, it almost always correlates to your physical age. <laughs> and so you have less slack in your like personal system mm-hmm. because you can't pull an all-nighter anymore really mm-hmm. not that anybody really ever can pull an all-nighter but it's it's much more difficult to lie to yourself about how functional you're going to be on less sleep right yeah and you also have i mean hofstetter's law right everything takes twice as long as you think it will <laughs> even after taking into account hofstetter's law um you tend to get a better like uh, here's another um you get a, a a better kind of feeling in your fingertips basically about how long things are going to take right mm. like mm-hmm. so you 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 don't have that assumption of more slack in the system mm-hmm. I, like i feel that one of the things that differentiates someone who's been doing something for a while and someone who is fresh to something is the person who's been doing something for a while underestimates by less how long it's going to take to get approvals for something. Ooh, that's interesting. Because you start to realize, like, so the further along you are in your work, the higher level the people above you who need to approve something are, and the more understanding you have of, like, oh, I am number 27 on their list for today, and the first four things are giant dumpster fires. (laughs) So, yeah, if I send them a ping saying, hey, could you take a look at this? I really need your thumbs up on this. Like, they're not going to get back to you today because they've got four dumpsters on fire. Yeah. So unless you're willing to set a dumpster on fire, you've got <laughs> to wait around for a bit. Right. And I don't recommend, you know, dumpster arson <laughs> as a, like, as a professional tool. I have definitely set some dumpsters on fire to get people's attention in the past. But they are, that's a career limiting move, right? Like once you do that, people are mm-hmm. starting to look for ways to get rid of you. Yeah. Or at least your access to matches. Right. And dumpsters. <laughs> and then you've just got garbage piled up on your desk and bad. Yeah. Yeah. The approvals thing is really interesting. I guess, like, is that, do you consider that to just be a big company thing or does that also apply even at startups just because? there are more dumpster fires, like higher concentration of dumpster fires. <laughs> like, is this, yeah, is this company specific? Right. The dumpster fire to yeah. approval ratio. Um, well, often at startups, you're trying to persuade people external to your startup to use something, right? So like you might be building a tool and especially if you're trying to build anything that's going to be bought by another company, like everybody says this, but like enter- the enterprise sales process like people have grown old and died oh, yeah. waiting for the vice president of, you know, signing the check to sign the check. Right. Yeah. And it's like one of those things that kind of takes longer, the longer it, it goes on as well. Yeah. That's why I feel like I, I really enjoy like working in open source where like signing a check is not usually the problem. <laughs> um, and I also enjoy running like a single person nonprofit that, basically like we have a paid api tier but it's all self-service so i'm never really chasing down like you also have sponsored sponsored words right yeah people can adopt a word and that's also Mm -hmm. self-service like Mm -hmm. uh, if people and the nice thing is it's not it's a nonprofit, right if people want to do this thing great and i just have to worry about covering our server costs Mm -hmm. yeah in theory that gets cheaper all the time well i guess it depends (laughs) how your your growth um yeah yeah nice balance yeah, yeah. <laughs> what i find so interesting about wordnik is i think it i mean it's had such a huge impact on the broader 
community um a number of tools and and um things have come out of wordnik i mean i think swagger is is one that comes to mind that was that was wordnik right yeah swagger was wordnik my co-founder tony tam I, I like to joke that he came up with an api description specification because i asked him so many stupid questions about apis <laughs> <laughs> but he was like all right i'm just gonna make something you can just go to this web page self-service self-service theme yeah especially since i was the ceo and he was kind of like yeah I, I realized that you sent me this email really late last night asking me a dumb question um <laughs> which is something you should not do i mean you can ask all the dumb questions you want you just shouldn't send them in late night emails that is a bad move um yeah. but to be fair at the time it was very difficult to schedule emails to send them a feature I was I was gonna say I mean I, that doesn't I don't know I mean as long as you like if you don't check your email at night then what's the difference between it just arriving when you wake up but I understand the point yeah I I really do love that you know the Open API spec the specification formerly known as Swagger has taken on like a a big life and that people have found it really useful and that it it makes a nice like through line in that. You know, Swagger really solved a problem that we had internally that was really a communications problem. And then it became something that really helped people document their APIs, which is a way to say, okay, well, what does this thing do? What is its goal? What can you expect from it? And now it's some now it's kind of like a given, right? It's it's harder and harder to find a public restful API that doesn't have a spec. And now people are working on things like async API specs um, that I think sound really cool. And I, I think about tech things that like, you know, as a parent, I think about tech things the same way I think about, you know, creating a person, right? The end goal is for them to have a beautiful and fulfilling life without you, right? Like without you having to do stuff, right? Like they're mm -hmm. independent and self-sufficient and out there in the world. Right. Yeah. That, that autonomy. Um, yeah. I, it's interesting. I, I think, and I like this cause this also kind of ties into how I've approached my career and this, there's been this theme too. I mean, you talked about the, the, you know, self-service and then also, uh, you know, your, your co-founder, um, you know, giving you a, a self-service way to, to find out the information that, that you wanted. <laughs> and um, also the, the repos, you know, and the maintainers, like a self-service way of knowing how to interact with the, the project. And then the, the APIs, you know, a self-service way with, with Swagger. Um, and, you know, we kind of talked about it too, about, you know, where to go to find information so that you don't constantly have to depend on the, the you know the team lead or whoever it is so they can go on vacation once in a while and that is such an imp for me um that has always been an important thing that i've done is i never wanted to be the the bottleneck like i always i'm always trying to remove myself so that i'm not i'm <laughs> i'm not the one that's that's part of the the foundation holding up a building right because like if I'm like then because then I can never leave to like go get water or something like that. Um, <laughs> and that's also kind of how promotions work. You know, I think in a lot of companies like you can't actually be promoted unless someone can take over what you were you were doing. And so if you're if you're never getting to the point where you make yourself I think replaceable is the wrong word, but if you never get to the point where where lots of other people can can take over for you, uh, you're going to make it very difficult um, for people to promote you. Um, and I think that's that's definitely something to keep in in mind. Um, I mean, I also I mean, it's also sort of just a I kind of want to say like a programmer thing, you know, that laziness uh, is the mother of invention. And, and related to that, I think. I think for me, that laziness is like, I never want to have to do anything. Um, and so that means that I can't be the only one to do it. Like if I'm the only one who's able to do it, then I have to do it. And I don't want to have to do anything. Uh, <laughs> and so that's that's always been important for me. I mean, what 
what other fundamental skills do you think that that developers should have or, or are beneficial? Um, I'm not sure if this is really a skill as much as a mindset, but like I feel like the joy of learning. Mm. I, I I feel like being able to frame it not as, oh, they changed the thing and now I have <laughs> to learn the new thing. And be more like, I get to learn this new thing. And mm. it is going to widen my horizons a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or it's going to um, make me more flexible. Again, I think talking about not wanting to, you know, you can't ever make yourself irreplaceable. You can only make yourself mm-hmm. a single point of failure. And anybody mm-hmm. who has a good manager who has a single point of failure on their team <laughs> is going to look into fixing that. <laughs> and sometimes that fixing is going to be taking your job and splitting it up into three different pieces. And maybe you're not going to be, you, maybe you're not going to yeah. have a chair when the music stops. So right. like you yep. should always be looking to figure out how you can bring other people like into your circle instead of keeping people out. And one way is by always being mm. up to learn something new. Now, again, you really have to be working in a place that both rewards learning something new and makes space for it, right? If you're at a place where you are expected to do your, you know, straight up job eight hours a day, and then on top of that, they want you to learn something new, that's wrong, right? If if you need to learn something new for your work, then mm. that's work time and you're your capacity has to be adjusted mm-hmm. to take account of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I was going to say scheduling. That's not right. But the the expectations of work hours, I was actually talking to somebody in the junior and senior community. Um, it's kind of related. Uh, they were asking what I thought about like crunch, uh, crunch time and uh, whether or not. I think it was an open ended question, but I think the real question is, is it acceptable for companies to have, uh, you know, crunch time? You know, coming up on a on a big deadline. I know the video game industry is is a little bit notorious for this. Um, and uh, notorious. <laughs> yeah, it's it's how how long? Yeah, how what should you think about a company that 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 expects more than? Than eight hours, uh, uh, you know, a day of work or a forty-hour work week, um, and I, I think I'm. I, I guess I should just start off by saying, like, that's that. If that is common, that's a really bad sign. Not, not necessarily just because I think they're being like, ex, you know, like they're exploiting you. It, it's more. I think it's a bad sign um, because it, the the. It's mismanaged. Uh, I think recently, I think it was Goldman Sachs had a bunch of associates that that complained, um, or they they wanted to institute a rule where they didn't have to work. I'm going to get the hours wrong, but I think it I think was it, Saturday mornings. Saturday That's mornings. All they wanted, I think. Okay, yeah, I thought it was like hours. Like they they wanted a cap, like no more than sixty hours a week or something like that. Um, but yeah, maybe it was Saturday Saturday mornings, and the the reactions to this were really interesting because. I think on one side, you had people who who had gone through the hazing and were like, oh, come on, wusses. Like, like, what are you talking about? You're making like, you know, truckloads of money. Like, why are you complaining? Um, and then I think there was other people like super wide eyed where it's like, wait, there that's an op that's that's possible. There are that many hours in a and a, why are you not dead? Like, that's the cap that you want. That's lethal what are you what are you talking about um and it was funny for me because i talked to somebody who used to work at um, bridgewater uh bridgewater is ray dalio's company he wrote a book called principles uh i really like the book um go read it but he's kind of like bizarro or antimatter tony shea who you know is famous for the the culture at zappos where everyone's like ludicrously happy all the time oh, yeah. and everyone's empowered and can do all this stuff uh and so it's a very intense um management philosophy but kind of in the like we're all in it together and we're all super powerful and capable and we can do what we want and creative and awesome that type of positive energy and then bridgewater is like this opposite where 
everybody is rated by their peers constantly. And so if you have an interaction with someone and and they weren't living up to their or like working up to the the standards or values or principles of Bridgewater, then you're just supposed to go into your app and like rate them negatively. So that goes on their like permanent record. And in future meetings, other people can pull that up and see like, oh, they're not as credible. And everybody's got like cards, baseball cards, I think they're called with like strengths and weaknesses. And it's very commonplace for people to join the job and just immediately be like crying and sobbing in the in the bathrooms. And it's it's a I think if you're a certain type of person, like, you know, those types of people love it. And, and it's, it's like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's not known for being very warm and fuzzy. And um, anyways, what was funny talking to somebody from Bridgewater about this, they were like, that's ridiculous. If we had a team that was working more than 40 hours a week, we would get in so much trouble because it's not productive. Like from Bridgewater's perspective is like, you just don't do that because it doesn't make you any more money. It's not like, oh, we shouldn't do that because we don't want to exploit them or, you know, it's mean. It's just it doesn't it doesn't help. And so tying this back to do I believe, you know, do I think crunch is a good idea? I think overall, it just points to not being effective. If it was effective, Bridgewater would do it uh <laughs> is the short is the short answer um and i think in certain circumstances it makes sense if um if let's just say you are a startup and you have a really big demo that if it goes well it could dramatically change the trajectory of the company and oftentimes you can't control the timeline in which one of those demos becomes available it could really just be chance that oh, wow, we're meeting with the, you know, the Gates Foundation or something like that. They have this, you know, 30 minute window uh, in five days. Like, OK, like I believe I believe in crunch or, y- you know, you're you're trying to make it to the next funding round or uh, you know, a big customer. I could definitely see reasons that you can't control the timeline. And if you if you don't put in enough work by that, that that deadline, it's it's a very different trajectory. And so if you were trying to just take the position like, no, you know, maximum 40 hour weeks. So let's just, you know, we'll we'll put in 20 hours in front of this deadline. And then after the demo's over, then we'll just build out the rest of the demo. It's like, no, that doesn't that doesn't work. The company might be over, the you know, the big fish might be gone. And so I, I believe in it in certain six, uh, situations, but if that's happening every week, every month, even every other month, like the company is probably not being run well because it's not it's not taking that that predictable uh, workload into account. <laughs> well, also in kind of the startup demo situation, the incentives are aligned mm. because usually that happens pretty early on and everybody's at a startup because of the magical you know, this is going to go public someday thinking or because they really believe in the mission and they like the control, right? Because there are trade-offs, right? Mm -hmm. If you're at a bigger company where the crunch is really not to meet a specific goal, but because people have consistently underestimated the resources necessary to do a task, they're either, you know, either their eyes are bigger than their stomachs and, you know, they've bitten off more than they could chew. And they're like, oh, well, I guess we're going to take it out of the people with the least, you know, mm. power in this situation. Yeah. That's bad. Right. Because right? it's not enough to think about the timing or the deadline or the number of hours requested. I think to figure out whether something's good or bad, you have to think about, like, what are the power relationships here? And what are people's, like, you know, best alternatives is the best alternative like they're not going to eat that week? You know, that's that's <laughs> right. not really an alternative. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. Um, what what um you know? Okay, so we were talking about that mindset about learning, but also being being aware that um, you know not to to really just go overboard with it and if somebody expects you to learn on your own time to like give it give up that time freely do you find that there there are other career mistakes that um junior devs make or some other pattern that that you've seen i think just not asking what's expected of you like making assumptions 
Mm. And it's perfectly okay mm. to talk to your manager and say, hey, what what does it look like to be successful at this thing you want me to do? Right? Again, it's goals and outcomes. And also ask mm. asking your manager, like, hey, what are you trying to do? Like, what's important for your career? Because like, oh, that's so part, good. part of like, part of your job, like if you have a manager is helping, like the whole reason to have a manager is a manager manages people to do more work than she could do by herself, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, mm -hmm. she's got these goals that she has to manage people into, like, getting accomplished and having, having like, kind of having a bigger peripheral vision, like, outside your own tasks to say, hey, how do all these things, like, add up to be more than 100%? Like, what's the big goal? How can I help you get there? Kind of, like, what, what would be awesome, right? And like people don't want to manage rules lawyers who are like, hey, you told me to do three three things, I'm doing three things. <laughs> like that's a bad, that's a bad relationship, right? Like a good relationship should be commensal, right? They care about you and your career. You care about them and their career, right? They are not like I feel like people have too much like authority figure vested in a manager, right? You guys are y'all are doing it together, right? It's not a command and control economy anywhere anymore. And I really, really love this site called Ask a Manager. Oh, I don't know about that one. Oh, it's so good. And there's like 10 years of archives. You can fall like down a rabbit hole. And sometimes people write in. It's all question driven, right? People write in with questions. And a lot of times the answer for almost everything is ask. Just ask. <laughs> Just ask. What do they want? You can't, like, nobody, like, unless you were hired as, you know, junior mind reader level one, <laughs> nobody expects you to read minds. I, I, even then, I think I'd probably be senior, senior right. level mind reader, but yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> there really are no entry-level mind reading positions anymore. It's really a problem in our industry. Um, <laughs> everybody wants a mind reader. Nobody wants to train one. Um. Yeah, I love that site. It's so good. And also, sometimes when you read it, you're like, even, even if you're feeling bad about your own personal situation that day, you can always read like the worst boss letter to be like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel really good right now. Yeah, stuff like that is definitely, that's definitely important. So, so something that like, if it's, if it's really difficult for people to, to, I'm like trying to figure it out, like, like if it's difficult to like set goals and it's difficult to ask a question about about those goals, is there some way of of getting better or is it really just simple to be like, like, OK, step one, think about what you don't like about your current situation. <laughs> step two, imagine the absence of those things. And then step three, like like you figure out what that looks like. Is that yeah, is there some better way of 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 developing that skill of asking questions and, and setting goals? You really have to practice being okay with feeling dumb. Mm. We mm -hmm. avoid feeling dumb and looking dumb so much. And it's one of those like life's little ironies that the more you avoid looking dumb, the dumber <laughs> you look. And so, but it can be very psychologically difficult, like to be in a position where you feel like you're always the person asking the dumb question. And mm -hmm. often for people who are marginalized, it can be really hard to ask questions because it's not thought of as, oh, Aaron had a question. It's thought of as like, oh, oh wow, gray haired women in tech, they have no idea what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there are a couple of ways to kind of like psychologically bolster yourself. And one is to like buddy up with someone and say, hey, can we ask this question together to kind of like diffuse the dumb mm. and like. And the other mm -hmm. thing is to just make sure that you have something in your life that you feel kick ass at. Ooh, like that's good. One, like <laughs> I gave a talk at XOXO a couple years ago about like stuff I learned running a startup. And one of them was like embrace meaningless competence, right? Like I love to sew, <laughs> but I'm not a professional seamstress. I don't sew for other people. I actively avoid mm -hmm. sewing for other people. Very, ex very exclusive client. <laughs> yes, it's me. And, <laughs> but I love sewing and I feel like I'm pretty good at it by now because I've been doing it for decades and I'd love to wear the things that I make. And so mm -hmm. like when I was feeling really bad about not being able to like, you know, 
do startup, I was sewing so much. Like I would wake up every Saturday morning and make a new dress because I knew I'd feel great when that dress was finished. I'd feel great when I put that dress on. I controlled every single aspect, like from the fabric to the design to the construction. And it was just like, yeah, I feel really competent at this. So I can have a couple hours a week where I know what the hell I'm doing. And I got a lot of positive external validation from it because I had a blog, I have a blog about dresses that I make and dresses in general. And like I'd wear a new dress and people would be like, oh, I love your dress, right? So it has to be something not only that you feel good at, but you also get validation for. And maybe that's like playing with your kids. Maybe your four-year-old thinks you are the king of Legos, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe it's like you write epic fan fiction and you've got a thousand likes on Archive of Our Own. Just yeah. do something that you feel good at and you feel that you are good at. Right. And I think that's fantastic advice because I think there's just so many things. There's so many. There are so many options uh, of things that that anybody could find something to <laughs> to be good at. <laughs> right. So it's, I think it's open nobody, to everybody. <laughs> nobody is universally incompetent across the board. <laughs> and even if you are, that probably means Dunning-Kruger has kicked in and there's something you think you're awesome at. Yeah. So and, like, and you know. also, yeah, only, <laughs> only one direction to go to. Yeah. <laughs> but you really have to be okay with um, looking dumb. And I often feel that it's, oh, it's easier for senior people who have like accomplishments that they can point at. Mm -hmm. Be like, yeah, I know I'm not a completely incompetent person because look, I did that thing over there and no one can take that away from me. Right. Yeah. It wasn't perfect, but it's done. But when you're junior or just starting out, you don't have that to fall back on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a much smaller platform. Um, so, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I think that is that is fantastic. That's fantastic advice. Um, Aaron, this has been great so where can people find out more about you online what you're working on um i'm lucky enough to have a fairly unusual name so i have aaronmckeen.com and also uh wordnik w-o-r-d-n-i-k.com that's where all the words live um but yeah and i'm also on twitter as e mckeen and if you see a pink robot it's me except no substitutes i'm not the <laughs> e mckeen who's a neurosurgeon sorry to disappoint um but yeah those are the places where I be. All right, perfect. So we'll put those in the in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior. Having trouble finding senior front-end and full-stack engineers? Sponsoring JSLA is one of the best ways to get in front of the best JavaScript devs in Los Angeles. To learn more, head over to js.la sponsorship or send me an email at david at js.la.